great offers and a great podcast? What a day. Thank you, sponsors. We appreciate it. This is an ICRT podcast. We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time 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 for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined today by regular commentators Ross Feingold in Taipei. Good evening. And by Michael Smith in Kaohsiung. Hi. Tonight we'll be discussing the latest coronavirus news, that being the island's first domestic BA5 subvariant cases and the Central Epidemic Command Centre making some changes to rules regarding passenger arrivals here in Taiwan. The KMT opting to participate remotely in the Straits Forum in China despite a warning by the Mainland Affairs Council. The National Communications Commission's proposed Digital Service Act leading to claims that its sole aim is to control freedom of expression. And the local newspapers and online news sites being a buzz with news that local actress Phoebe Huang is filing for divorce from her Canadian husband. But we'll begin with news and that being the latest news about November's local elections and the KMT officially nominating a former lawmaker as its candidate for Kaohsiung on its mayoral ballot as the DPP faces a rebellion over New Taipei after a top pick there pulled out of consideration and also the DPP's candidate for Tao Yuen's top job filing a lawsuit against the KMT Taipei City Councillor for slander. And we'll begin all of that in Kaohsiung, where the KMT has chosen former lawmaker Ke Zhiyen as its candidate for the November 26th mayoral election. Ke currently heads the KMT's National Policy Foundation think tank. Now, KMT chairman Eric Ju this week said that Ke will be dedicated to turning Kaohsiung into a safe and healthy city full of hope. Ke will be challenging incumbent Kaohsiung Mayor Chen Chi Mai, and the KMT is likely facing an uphill battle in the southern city, largely due to the debacle that was won Mr Han Guoyu, who of course won the 2018 Kaohsiung mayoral election to everyone's surprise, only to lose his job in a recall vote in June of 2020. So Michael, you're in Kaohsiung. Is there much heated debate in the city about the KMT choosing a candidate for the race there? No, actually. Um, the choice is not all that big of a surprise because what you want when you're running a KMT campaign in Kaohsiung is someone non-offensive uh, and with some sort of uh, difference to the uh, DPP incumbent. So she's a woman, he's a man. Um, she's more of a softer academic type, or he is a doctor. So she she fits the kind of person that you would want to put in. But it's pretty clear to the majority of political watchers that this is a uh, yet another sort of sacrificial lamb. But they're hoping that she'll do much better than Li Meizhen or Jane Lee in the last 2020 uh, by-election who got 25.9, so it's almost 26% of the vote only, because of plagiarism charges that were later uh, discovered to be true. Her thesis had had not been uh, uh, properly written. So uh, recently, after the nomination of Ke, people have started putting out rumors about her diplomas as well, and that has made her very, very angry. It seems unlikely that her educational qualifications have been um, um, somehow fudged. She has a, a pretty um, strong uh, background and pedigree in, in, in what she's done. And um, the thing that I've talked to several people who uh, actually support KMT candidates, I've asked them about her and what their feelings toward her are, and they have no expectation that she will win. Now, consider that Chen Shimai 
received 70% of the vote last time around. That's after he, uh, uh, Han was removed and he came back. And so 70% is a very high number to receive. But what they, the KMT supporters tell me is that they are not happy with this idea of the KMT parachuting in candidates for their city. So Ke has not been living in uh, Kaohsiung uh, for the past uh, X amount of years, if ever, and she only recently put her, like, as in two days ago, put her household registration in Kaohsiung. So what, what my KMT friends are telling me is that this indicates to them that the party doesn't really seriously, are, they don't take the city seriously as an attempt to take it back, and they're not, it's, it's sort of just not respectful to uh, them. That's the words that they were using. So when you said an uphill climb, that's definitely the case. But possibly the more um, interesting one, as far as inter-party squabbling goes, is what happened over in Pingdong, where Peng An, the uh, two-time uh, magistrate of that county, he has to step down. But he is going to be replaced, it seems, by his protege, a, a woman that he decided that he wanted very early on, uh, uh, Cho. And she was up against three other legislators from Pingdong. And when I first saw the three, I was assuming that one of the men would win because they had a higher profile. Zhang Sheng is well known in Taiwan. You can find videos of him uh, in the legislator throwing chairs during scuffles, although that's probably true of, of pretty much every legislator uh, in Taiwan. But in any case, Zhou uh, Chuan-mi, uh, she managed to take the, the, the poll, but there's some controversy over whether or not these telephone polls are, are manipulated in any way or if they are a really good way of choosing a candidate. So the, the losers are not happy about this, but if you wanted to put any money on it, you would be uh, almost guaranteed to win because uh, Ping Dong is very strongly green, and Pamong An, the outgoing magistrate, he is extremely popular, and we should keep an eye on him because he's potentially vice presidential material, premier material. Um, I would very much bet that he will be moved up to the central government as soon as he actually steps down. And then finally, before we go, uh, Tainan. Tainan, this time around, is the, the mayor is going to be uh, seeking re-election, and he's going to be challenged by his old nemesis, Xielongzi. And <laughs> this person has run for the uh, legislative yuan in 2012, in 2016, in 2019, and 2020, and lost every single time. So he, he's basically the only one that the party could get, in my opinion, to run against uh, the Tainan mayor. And uh, the Tainan mayor came in with only something around 38% of the vote last time around. It was actually much closer than most people had uh, anticipated. The DPP has governed Tainan since 1997, and last time around, with only that 38%, there was a, a, some questions as to you know, how, how strong that, the, the support was in Tainan. But the latest opinion polls have uh, Mayor Huang at 70% approval, and of that percentage, uh, 15% very, very satisfied, and another huge percent, let me see here, another 53% uh, quite satisfied. So his bid for re-election seems pretty secure. And Ross, Michael summed up Tainan, Pingdong and Kaohsiung for you there. Well, they're all very tough uh, elections, or I, I almost say impossible elections for the Kuomintang, and that might be why they treated it as somewhat of an afterthought, and their candidates 
are just not very strong, frankly. Uh, uh, Ke and ran for the legislature in, in 2020 in New Taipei. <laughs> what, is, what does that tell you? <laughs> She's suddenly now uh, running for mayor two years later in, in, on, on the other end of Taiwan Island. Uh, uh, the Gobi Dog is going to be accusing the DPP of parachuting in candidates in other parts of Taiwan. It's something that both parties are guilty of in every election cycle. It's, it's just a fact. And then they always point the finger at the other side and say, you parachuted someone in who's not familiar with the constituency or the municipality. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how the Kuomintang plays that one, because they are making that accusation against the DPP's candidates in other parts of Taiwan while being, frankly, guilty of the same behavior themselves. Uh, ultimately, this will factor into whether or not uh, Julie Lun, Eric Ju, the Kuomintang chairman, keeps his job because he's committed to winning a certain number of races around Taiwan uh, in the local election or he'll resign. And uh, he's already uh, facing this challenge of certain seats, uh, certain jobs are, are very, very difficult for the Kuomintang to win. And what about the case of Kaohsiung there with Kerr moving in and trying to well, win back the seat for the KMT from Mr. Han? Well, Mr. Han uh, had a lot of enthusiasm. There was also uh, a bit of uh, fatigue with, with DPP governance in, in 2018. And there, there are the people who say that you know, it was China, China's influence on the Internet, as if you know, the voters of, of Taiwan or of Kaohsiung specifically in, in this case are, are so easily susceptible. I find that extremely insulting to the voters of Taiwan when certain experts claim that the, the voters don't know any better. A bunch of YouTube videos persuaded the voters to, to elect Han overwhelmingly. The guy just out-hustled his, candidate, uh, his opposing candidate at the time. That, that, that's why he won. He had a positive message. Uh, and, and enthusiasm. Uh, it, it, it soured pretty quickly. Uh, he ran for president and alienated the voters and was thrown out in a recall. Uh, but but that, that, that enthusiasm was, was very much linked to his personality at the time. Again, there was some fatigue as well. Uh, that fatigue does not seem to exist uh, in, in the other uh, races that we were just talking about. Fatigue with having a DPP uh, elected leader, uh, and it doesn't seem to exist with, with incumbent Mayor Chen Chi Mai either. If I can uh, add to uh, uh, something about Chen Chi Mai, so he came in, right, everyone knows, after uh, Han was removed from office, so this term that he's been serving is not actually his own. He'll be running for his first actual term in office, so he has the potential to be mayor for another eight years if he were to win this and the next election. And uh, this couple of uh, years that he's been in there, he, since Han, he has um, very quietly done a lot of stuff that you, you can see. So I'll give you an example. Um, the light rail has been uh, under construction in Kaohsiung for quite a while now, and we're starting to see stations popping up and the... Um, fences come down and you're starting to see the, the infrastructure clearly take shape. But what they did quite smartly, and I don't know if this was deliberate or not, but they planted the trees that are supposed to be in the center of the rail line before putting in many other things. So what that does is I'm able to look at this and go, hey, you know what, that doesn't look that bad. In fact, it looks kind of good. 
they've learned to pave the roads at night and get it done before the morning uh, rush hour begins. And then you come out and you're on a road and you're like, hey, when did they do this? So it's fair to say, at least I think it's fair to say, that Chen Mai is not a charismatic politician. He doesn't have a very good way of speaking to the media. He sort of slurs his words a bit, uh, speaks too quietly, and he just doesn't have anywhere near the, the charisma that Han initially displayed. But he's getting stuff done, and he's been quite effective with the pandemic. He was one of the first officials to actually write a paper about uh, using tracking with phones and text messaging and all this. And so it's quiet, but it's noticeable. And I have yet to hear many Kaohsiung residents say that they you know, are upset or displeased with his governance in some way. So it would be a, a, a strong surprise for me if, if uh, she we're able to get much past, you know, say 35%. And of course, Ross, it's not quiet in New Taipei after DPP lawmaker Lord Chung pulled himself out of consideration for the city's top job there. Oh, he had made it clear uh, very early on in this election cycle that he was interested in the job, so it's no secret. Uh, he, he's won a couple of elections in his constituency, not not by overwhelming amounts, but, but he was re-elected. Uh, as I mentioned, he beat uh, Kudzun, in fact, in New Taipei. He's also been very involved in, in uh, foreign affairs as well, given his, his background as, as a scholar. But he, he seems to be liked by voters. Uh, he seems to be liked within the party as well. The issue seems to be uh, that, that there are decisions being made that... Uh, frankly, a bit unfair to him, are above his pay grade because there's faction-related issues going on about who would be the preferred candidate or should we defer to a certain personality and, and former Taizong mayor uh, and former minister of transportation and communications, Lin Jialong's name, uh, keeps coming up in this discussion. Uh, former Vice President Chen Jin's Ren's name keeps coming up in this discussion along with uh, Taipei City as well. Uh, then there was a, an interesting accusation that actually Su Jun Chang didn't want Lin Jia Long, uh, sorry, didn't want uh, Lo Zichang to run because Su prefers for Ho to be reelected, incumbent mayor Ho Yo Yi, and there'll be an open field when Ho is term limited in the next cycle, and that'll make it easier for uh, Su's daughter, who's currently a legislator, to run for this for the mayor seat in, in uh, 2026. So there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes uh, within the party that have been a factor in, in frankly, what's becoming a, a rather delayed process to select their new Taipei or their Taipei mayor candidate. And, and unfortunately for legislator law, even though he had some uh, had some other good things going for him as to why he'd be a competitive candidate against incumbent Mayor Ho, who's pretty popular, who does have uh, high, high approval ratings. Uh, again, it wasn't up to him, and he, he kind of uh, finally said, enough, I'm not going to wait around for Party Central or those, those important decision makers within the party, and ultimately party chairwoman, who's also the president, Tsai Ing-wen, uh, to make a decision on this. So he said, uh, forget it, take my name out of the mix. I don't want to be your, your second choice. And talking of not second choices, but first choices, that being the DPB candidate for Tao Yuen's top job. Well, Ross, I mean, of course, he's found himself filing a lawsuit against a KMT city councillor, Wang Hongwei, um, for slander. 
Well, there are accusations that uh, his thesis, or uh, should I say his two master's thesis, because there's, there's two involved, uh, large parts of the, the, the thesis uh, were plagiarized. Uh, the work of it's the work of other people, the work of uh, published reports from from uh, government agencies. Uh, he's made some defenses about why there's similarities between his thesis and, and, and uh, official studies, as well as uh, thesis uh, for, with regard to his National Taiwan University thesis, a document that was uh, submitted earlier by a different student. He's accused of uh, borrowing from that. Although he said, no, actually, I provided some of the research that the other guy used, and it was okay with me. It just so happened that uh, he, he submitted his, his thesis before me. I think the bigger problems here, rather than did he copy part of uh, his his thesis from other sources, is uh, too many universities. Uh, standards aren't always what we would like them to be, uh, especially for master's programs. Uh, sometimes these are just factories. Uh, the the uh, you know, people, whether they're in politics or they're in the business world, they're just looking to uh, have something nice on, on their resume to say that I also have a master's in addition to my undergraduate degree. And again, that leads to problems with quality standards uh, for some of these degree programs, even if it's a master's degree at a prestigious university like, like NTU. Uh, but the, the program where he was getting his master's at, at NTU is, is, is known for churning out a lot of people go through that program. Uh, a lot of politicians, a lot of uh, people working in politics, like, like office staff uh, in, in legislator offices, for example. I mean, a lot of people, they, they, they're, they're in the fifth year of the third year, uh, three-year program over there because they, they just, it just sounds good to say I'm a master's student. They don't even bother finishing. Uh, so things like properly uh, attributing work, proper citations, that, that's a problem. It's, again, it goes to the, the quality control issues that I mentioned. Uh, but uh, looking at it from another perspective, uh, I don't think this is the Guomindang's uh, best uh, tool in this election. You know, they have a candidate that the, was parachuted in uh, to Taoyuan, uh, basically selected by Chairman Zhu, uh, this candidate, Simon Zhang, Zhang Shan Zhang was the premier at the end of the Mayan Joe administration, so the premier during those final few months of 2016. He has a good resume in the business world. Uh, I, I think he should be running on his record or his vision for the city. What are his plans for the infrastructure? Uh, Michael just mentioned some things that Mayor, Mayor Chun is doing well down in Kaohsiung. Uh, the, the Gomindang candidate for, for mayor or county uh, magistrate should, should be thinking about how do I do things like that that make me popular? Instead of having city councilors from Taipei, not, not even Taoyuan, uh, trying to win the election uh, on, on, on a plagiarism allegation. So, you know, Lin, had, again, he has his defenses to explain why there's similarities between his thesis and other people. He's taking legal action. That's going to go through the process, uh, the judici judicial system. The schools will investigate whether or not there's an investigation result before the election remains to be seen, or whether what they find will will have uh, any kind of effect on voter decision remains to be seen. I, I don't think it's likely. And one final thought, the Gomidang needs to be very careful with this kind of thing. You know, as, as, as Michael mentioned in, in Gaoxiong, this came up with 
their in the by-election after Han was recalled. Uh, the Gomidang wants to accuse the DPP or DPP politicians of having plagiarized masters thesis. They better be careful because the DPP will dig out a whole bunch of Gomidang politicians who have a similar problem. Moving on now, the Central Epidemic Command Centre on Wednesday announced Taiwan's first confirmed domestic cases of the coronavirus BA5 Omicron subvariant. According to health officials, the two Taijong residents contracted the disease from family members who returned to Taiwan from the United States after they picked them up at the Taoyuan International Airport to drive them home. Now, the Epidemic Command Centre has been quick to stress that there are no signs that the subvariant has spread further into the community. Meanwhile, the Central Epidemic Command Centre on Thursday raised the weekly cap of visitor arrivals to 40,000. It had previously been set at 25,000 and it also announced that PCR test requirements will be lifted for people who hold ROC passports and residence certificates and for those who arrive in Taiwan for transit from July the 14th. And the Health Minister Chen Shijong is saying that the relaxation of the border controls comes amid an increase in overseas Taiwanese nationals returning home for the summer vacation and also for business travellers. So Michael, we've got more people allowed to come in and dropping PCR test requirements for certain people before they come to Taiwan? Yeah, so, I mean, this is pretty much uh, expected, and uh, all I can really say is that from the people that I've talked to, the tolerance overall for the pandemic seems to be uh, waning very, very fast. People look at the television and see America and Europe, uh, take the July 4th, for example, unfortunately marred by horrific gun violence, but they saw people at parties, uh, mask gatherings, not wearing masks, and it seems like most of uh, places have gone back to normal, and we are, are, are not quite there yet. So uh, that's what they're telling me, is that we just need to figure out a way of living with this. And then yesterday, uh, Thursday, there was a report about another subvariant called Centurius that's uh, even more uh, contagious and blah, blah, blah. So, uh, yeah, there, there's not much we can do at this point, I believe, except uh, follow basic science and uh, figure out a way to coexist with, with uh, this new reality. It's a bit of a balancing act as well. I wouldn't say that there was fear because of the, the, the case that you mentioned, the BA5 variant, uh, you know, person returning to Taiwan, spread it to their family. Uh, it's it's concerning. It's concerning for the authorities, and I think it's concerning for for the public as well. But again, yeah, there, there's this balance with people uh, being uh, desirous to move on, and part of moving on includes a relaxation of inbound travel restrictions as well. Uh, but the authorities are probably very concerned because they don't want any of these uh, variants to cause more cases. Uh, we've been dealing with this outbreak now uh, for about three months. Uh, the number of daily deaths is still hovering around uh, 100 as, as well. Uh, so they're, they're kind of stuck in the middle. You know, the public wants no COVID. The public also wants ease of travel. And some of those politicians who are in charge of the pandemic are also trying to get elected in November. Uh, so there are a number of competing factors. Uh, uh, I'm looking forward to traveling eventually, though. So uh, personally, I'm happy that I won't have to go running around looking for a PCR test if I'm overseas and trying to return to Taiwan. And we have to take a short break now, but we'll return after these rather important commercials.
Welcome back to Taiwan This Week. And KMT Vice Chairman Andrew Shah on Wednesday announced that his party will be participating, albeit virtually, in the upcoming Straits Forum in China. According to Shah, in-person attendance is not possible due to the current coronavirus prevention regulations in China, and he will be unable to travel there because of that. But Shah says he will be participating in the forum's opening ceremony via video conferencing. Now, China's Taiwan Affairs Office has said that the forum will be held in mid-July in Xiamen, and there have been reports that KMT Chairman Eric Ju could attend the event again, virtually. However, the KMT has ruled out him going there personally, of course, due to the coronavirus restrictions, but he could address the forum's opening ceremony in a pre-recorded video. The KMT is also stressing that it firmly believes that cross-strait exchanges are important. Those announcements by the KMT, though, came after the Mainland Affairs Council urged Taiwanese citizens not to attend the Straits Forum, calling it part of China's United Front campaign against Taiwan, and it's also saying that it's long been little but a platform for Beijing to divide the people of Taiwan. So, Michael, the KMT popping off to China virtually to attend the Straits Forum. Right. So you had uh, Chairman Eric Zhu on his visit to America not long ago uh, sort of try to reorient the the KMT as uh, less pro-China and uh, more pro-Taiwan and pro-peace. And he made some comment about how the KMT has always been anti-communist, which obviously didn't go down super well in Beijing. So this is a, a very difficult line for the KMT to walk because public consensus in Taiwan has shifted. The 1992 consensus is not uh, accepted by the majority of people here. The idea of one country, two systems is certainly not accepted here. So much of uh, the KMT's original platform is just not uh, viable anymore as a, as, as for public uh, opinion. And uh, on the other hand, you, you do want, as a KMT, you do want to try to be the party that is uh, reaching out to China and uh, being seen as, you know, a possible peacemaker. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to be in their position. But uh, one funny thing that, that struck me when uh, Xiao was, was speaking, he was speaking at a, uh, a summit or a meeting held to mark the 85th anniversary of the Marco Polo Bridge incident outside Beijing, which led to Japan's invasion of China in 1937. And you, you just read that, and you're, you're like, okay, well, you guys are still quite a ways away from being as Taiwan-centric as you need to be for any real uh, change to be affected. Well, Julie Lonar, Jew, chairman of the party, he spoke to Straits Forum last December by video, the timing was terrible for him because it occurred right around when Nicaragua ended diplomatic relations with the Republic of China. Uh, people questioned the, whether or not it was appropriate for him to still make that appearance. Uh, the excuse was it was a pre-recorded video. Uh, I, I don't think the, the public pays attention to most of these events. I mean, pre-COVID, there were so many with, with nebulous-sounding names, you know, Straits Forum, or forum on, on, on young people interaction, forum for businesses, forums for media. Uh, you know, it's mostly it's a way for uh, China to get a bunch of people from Taiwan in a room and, and for China to claim that uh, a lot of important decision makers in Taiwan are still interested in whether it was the 92 consensus or unification. Uh, 
the, of course, the government and the DPP has made a great effort to say that uh, it's bad to participate in this event. Uh, it's all part of China's tactics to take over Taiwan, et cetera, et cetera. Again, I don't think the public pays a lot of attention to this, uh, but it's it's certainly kind of fun watching the Golby Don try to uh, decide whether or not to participate, and then which personality from the Golby Don leadership will participate, what uh, he or she, in this case it'll be Andrew Xia, will say in his uh, remarks. And then afterwards, when, when they get a lot of criticism from DPP politicians or from the government, how the Golby Don tries to justify it and, and tries to address the concern that Michael mentioned, that uh, whether it's the government or uh, talking heads, the media are going to say, uh, you're still very China-centric, and how the Kuomintang tries to explain this. I mean, how could they explain it better, do you think? Well, uh, they can't, uh, but uh, if, if they still want to be the party that claims uh, we're, we're for communication with China, then it's understandable that they participate. The problem is they seem to be at great pains to articulate it as simply as, as the three of us can in this conversation. No, just say it. Just simply say that uh, we think communication is important and we're going to speak at these forums and we shouldn't be painted as uh, traitorious to, to Taiwan simply because we do so. That's what we stand for. We actually have a belief in that. And that also goes to the, to the, uh, the remembrance that Michael mentioned for the Marco Polo Bridge incident uh, the anniversary on, on July 7th. Uh, the the Dong, while they're trying to say we love America and we love Taiwan, they're also trying, and I don't think it's going to be very successful, so I agree with Michael, that they're, they're, they're trying to say that we're really big into celebrating the history of the Republic of China, and, and the DPP is against that. So that's one way we're distinguished from the DPP. So they're, they're really big in the last few months into talking about things like these anniversaries that have to do with the Republic of China or the Kuomintang uh, fighting the communists back in the day, whether it's in the late 20s, 30s, 40s, or other incidents that occurred in the 50s and 60s once the government moved from China to Taipei, uh, or things related to the war with Japan, things related to uh, ally cooperation during World War II. So they're trying to to use those things and to say that you know, we've always stood for freedom, right? But the Kuomintang has sent recently in English uh, a, a ridiculous number of tweets claiming that they've always stood for democracy. It's like, guys, come <laughs> on, who are you kidding? You, you, you brought Taiwan, what, what people often call the world's longest period of martial law. It was 38 years. And you're tweeting that you always stood for democracy. Uh, but they've been trying to to play that up as well, uh, both domestically as well as for international audiences. I and think it's going to be a total loser with the voters. Yeah, agreed. And and the uh, Republic of China on the other side, the DPP, has basically relegated it to a non-issue. You start with uh, Tsai Ing-wen in 2020 saying that, you know, we are an independent country with the official name of the Republic of China. And then you read uh, newspapers where they say Taiwan, and then maybe they'll put in brackets something that says something like, officially called the Republic of China. And it just, it, it doesn't have, uh, at least especially down here in the South, it doesn't have any, any teeth or any, any pull, uh, or much pull anymore. People in Taiwan have moved on. Uh, it's really only a, a very small group of uh, perhaps you know, people who came over, the descendants of people who came over in 49, 
everyone else just sees the Republic of China, as I see it, as a, just sort of a convenient thing that we, we need to have. And it's certainly not a, a vote-winning uh, issue. And what about... Ross's comments about that the public in Taiwan doesn't really pay much attention to these meetings. Oh, definitely agree. Yeah, um, it's you, you. Pretty much the last time I think that the public really paid attention to a meeting between uh, Taiwan and China was when Mindjo met with uh, you know Xi Jinping. Uh, it has to be something pretty uh, big to catch most people's attention because it's just. It's not important. We we all know that they're going to talk a, a little bit, you know, share a couple of uh, gaoliang or uh, multi cups, and uh, nothing's going to come of it. So, yeah, why bother paying attention? Moving on now, and the National Communications Commission has been had a busy few days defending its plans for a digital intermediate service draft bill. According to the Telecommunications and Broadcast Media Regulator, the bill seeks to ensure that large online platforms are required to disclose their recommendation algorithms in user service agreements. And it says it is only targeting such platforms that have more than 2.3 million active users. Now, the KMT has jumped all over this and said, well, hang on a minute, maybe this is something the government setting up to take back the airwaves and the internet and use it to clamp down on freedoms, Ross? It's a legitimate concern. Uh, This goes to one of the issues that the DPP has used uh, probably successfully uh, over the past five, six years, and that's to say online infiltration. I mentioned uh, earlier this accusation about the 2018 election and, and, and that because of China's ability to put stuff on the internet, it somehow fooled voters of Taiwan into voting for Hong Guoyu. There was a lot of that accusation uh, not long after that, during the election cycle for 2020 as well. Of course, the hilarity in that accusation is that in the 2020 election, you know, the DPP did so well. So if China uh, has has infiltrated the internet and is uh, uh, influencing voters, uh, someone's not doing their their work very well because the election results still generally, with the exception of a few races in 2018, have been going the, the DPP's way. Uh, but uh, it, it, there's unfortunately not a sufficient vetting of, of this draft bill in the public space. Now, I'm sure the NCC would say we had uh, so many engagements with stakeholders, we had so many forums with scholars, uh, or industry representatives. But, but the way it's gone down publicly is you know, it was a draft that was put together uh, without really considering what, what the impact would be on, frankly, freedom of speech on the Internet. So it's not a surprise that people are concerned uh, about uh, what kind of control the government wants to exercise over these platforms. Look, every country struggles with this. Uh, it's not something that's unique to the government here in Taiwan. Uh, There's news in the past few days that Twitter has sued the government of India over uh, uh, demands that uh, Twitter provide information about users to to the government. Countries say we have to prevent infiltration, we have to prevent other types of bad behavior on the internet and uh, trying to find that balance has proved to be very difficult in democracies but then there's always going to be somebody who says you're basically doing what china or russia do uh or other totalitarian totalitarian countries do as far as exercising control over the internet uh this won't be popular with the public either uh 
the people love to write stuff online. People don't want to get visited by the police. Unfortunately, uh, Taiwan already has a, a number of laws that allow police or prosecutors to start asking questions just you know, because somebody writes something in a line group and that, that, that periodically gets in the news, right? If I write Davin, Gavin is a jerk and he's spreading COVID-19. You know, I might get investigated for spreading false rumors about the pandemic. So there are a lot of bits and pieces in different laws that already allow for, for this type of intrusion, frankly. Uh, but ultimately, if the government wants to pass it and they want to say that uh, it, it's important for national security, that's why we need this, they'll probably play that, especially as we go into the local election and then uh, 14 months after that, the national election. So it's certainly to, I think, the government's political advantage to say we need this. I am extremely uh, pro-freedom of speech, uh, perhaps a little bit too extreme on this, but I have to push back uh, on some of what Ross is saying about China's infiltration, especially when it comes to the 2018 election. So how did 150,000-plus people who normally would have voted for the DPP, why did they change their mind and vote for Han? Um, of course, Han did, you know, he, he came out of uh, nowhere, he had a good act, he uh, talked the talk, and he, he made some... So he, he definitely convinced many of those people uh, of his own will. But when I was covering the election in 2018, I found that there were a lot of people who just sort of jumped on the bandwagon because they saw this popularity ball rolling. And that popularity ball getting rolling was largely due to Facebook, Line, various other groups that had, you know, uh, it, it looked like you had a million members or something, but it turned out to be bots. It turned out to be China. So I am actually concerned about infiltration from China because sometimes people don't, uh, don't think uh, very well. They don't investigate, and it, it's a little bit uh, dangerous. So we do need some controls over the wild, wild web. And if this bill uh, ends up being what is similar to what is uh, being used in the EU, I don't think I would have a problem with it. Um, of course, uh, freedom of speech is very important, and I agree with Ross about the slander things. This is ridiculous that uh, you're able to swear at someone and then be sued for defamation or something. But, uh, yeah, I, I believe that there needs to be some control over the web. And before we go this week, local actress Phoebe Huang is filing for divorce from her Canadian husband, and that news filled column inches and interweb screen space this week here in Taiwan, with headlines citing unnamed friends of the actress describing Christopher Downs as useless and citing him as saying that he's not her assistant. Now, the couple have been married for some 16 years, but have spent extended periods living apart from each other in their respective countries due to the coronavirus pandemic. So, Ross, this was first broken, this news, by Mirror Media. So... Why was it so big when there was probably about 10 other divorces minimum? Well, she's generally a, a popular entertainer. She's acted in a number of uh, TV shows. Uh, she was also a, a singer. Uh, she, people just like her. Uh, he was in a popular TV show as well with their daughter, uh, so that got him some fame as well. Uh, celebrity divorces have been in the news multiple times over, over the past couple of years. Uh, most notable probably Wang Li Hong, but uh, wasn't the only one. Uh, so the, the public is always interested in celebrity marriages, divorces as well. The uh, uh, cross-border nature of, of their uh, relationship, I think, also adds to some of the attention uh, as well. Uh, and again, because their daughter was in this TV series, you know, that, that got 
I think that adds to some of the attention as well. Uh, we'll see if this turns into one of those big battles, uh, you know, custody issues, money issues, like what 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 occurred with Wang Lihong, although uh, not not as big a star as as Wang, uh, but there's always the potential for that when you have celebrities and when you have uh, people of multiple nationalities uh, involved. And of course, Michael, probably Ross is hitting the nail on the head where there was a cross-cultural marriage. Yeah, obviously that's going to spice things up a bit. But, uh, you know, in general, I just don't really have any feelings about other people's relationships other than I wish them the best, and uh, I hope it doesn't affect the children too much. Well, uh, we'll, 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 yeah, we'll have to see how, how much news coverage this will get going forward. Uh, well, one thing, uh, as a lawyer myself... Uh, She's hired a lawyer who's handled many uh, provident divorces here in Taiwan, uh, wealthy people, celebrities, which potentially signals that a battle might be expected, which means uh, there'll probably be more news coming out. And as you mentioned, uh, we see that people are, you know, it looks like the sides are lining up their, their proxies who, who share things with the media, uh, which is unfortunate, but uh, you know, that, that's kind of how you play the game when you're going about this thing. You have to also fight not just in court, uh, but the court of public opinion as well. And that's where we have to leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined today by Ross Feingold in Taipei. Have a great weekend. And by Michael Smith in Kaohsiung. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcasts on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.